So this sack, which was embroidered in 1921 by an African-American young woman named Ruth Middleton, reads, My great-grandmother Rose, mother of Ashley, gave her this sack when she was sold at age nine in South Carolina. It held a tattered dress, three handfuls of pecans, a braid of Rose's hair. Told her, it be filled with my love always. She never saw her again. Ashley is my grandmother, Ruth Middleton, 1921. I'm Anika Noni Rose, and this is Being Seen, an in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on Black women, Being Seen is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. The things we carry, our families, our histories, our wild loves and many braveries, our mother's joy and pain, the seeds of a future making the money, running the household, securing voting rights, being unfairly and disproportionately incarcerated, keeping our children safe, the stigma of living with HIV. Our burdens, our responsibilities have been many, and few but us, black women, have understood what it is to have to lift all of that, to try to hold the world on our shoulders, while protecting ourselves from the many things that threaten us all. Taya Miles is a historian and the author of All She Carried, which is the story of Ashley Sack, now on display at the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. I saw this sack years ago, and I remember it because of the way its colorful threads stopped me in my tracks, forcing me to look closer and see what had been written there. You ask me what drew me to this particular object And it was really a combination of the physicality and tangibility of a piece of cloth that was used as a practical item by Black women in the past, combined with those very moving sentences that I just read. The sack seemed to me to be just a treasure of a story because of the way in which it was both unique to these women and to their lives, but also universal to Black women's historical experience and to the human experience writ large. And I was also taken by the way in which the sack seemed to indict the U.S. and slaveholders. And uh, at the same time, to even amid that pain, of enslavement and separation that these women had to experience and had to endure, the sack projected a sense of hope 
and emphasize the importance of love in these women's lives. No matter what they were forced to go through, they loved one another. And I was completely captivated by that sentiment. Every time I read these words, I actually feel like I'm on the verge of tears. And so the experience of working on this book was emotionally raw for me. I'm the mother, I have three children. The book took years to research and write, and so my children have grown. But when I first started working on the project, my children were around the age of Ashley. And so I could not, I couldn't go through a single day without imagining what it would have been like to be in Rose's shoes. I am a bearer of things. I have carried joy, pain, aging family, the weight and excitement of being a first, the struggle of trying to thrive in a business that doesn't see me clearly or sometimes at all. I have carried many responsibilities. These burdens have changed me. They have shaped me. They have taught me that, try as you might, you can't carry everything. And that has to be okay. You don't owe the world yourself. But the things that are really important for you to carry, you find a way. This sack is both a literal and figurative example of things women carry. All of our burdens are not equal, and Black women in particular often carry a disproportionate share of responsibility, as I'm sure you know you have lived life. If we were to look to the past to understand the future, what can we take from history to help contextualize and better understand the things we have been asked to carry? Well, this sack really does encapsulate what you're speaking to. The burdens of Black womanhood, the burdens of Black motherhood, the necessity of carrying not just your own life in your hands, but the life of your children and your family and your community in your hands. And there are so many cutting contradictions that stem from that reality. On the one hand, it is an awe-inspiring thing that Black women have managed to carry these burdens. Mm. On the other hand, they have carried these burdens at a high cost to themselves. So we celebrate Rose. I think we should celebrate Rose for all of the many things that she was and that she did and for her quick thought and her willingness to take action when her heart was probably breaking. And yet her heart was breaking and she had to carry this with her for the rest of her life. Hmm. And she would have passed down that heartbreak to Ashley who would have felt it for the rest of her life. And you and I, even though we were not there, we did not experience that directly, we still carry and feel a part of that heartbreak. We can't even talk about it. We're both here, you know, trying to talk about it. We can't even talk about it without feeling that visceral sense of the pain of the burden. And yet we know that this work of caretaking, this work of preparation, this work of sending your child off into a society that is going to undervalue that child has to be done. 
We have to pack the sack. Today, we have to pack the lunch. We have to send our children out into these schools and uh, onto these streets. And our children are both changed by and change the world, taking on new responsibilities. At the start of 2021, Sydney Barber became the first Black female brigade commander in the history of the Naval Academy, a position that leads over 4,000 midshipmen at a school that a little over 40 years ago, she would not have even been able to attend. So I grew up on in the north suburbs of Chicago, a town called Lake Forest, Illinois. Um, I'm the oldest of four siblings, and my youngest siblings, they're sophomores in high school, and uh, my middle brother, he just turned 20, and he has special needs. And so I grew up with, with them, um, and I always had kind of a, a protective attitude when it came to my siblings. I always took care of them. My parents were always working. We lived in a, in a split household. So oftentimes I was there um, and, and we were just taking care of ourselves for a lot of it. But um, in terms of the environment that I grew up in, um, we lived in a, in, a, in a pretty sheltered suburban area. It was predominantly white. My high school class was 1.1% African-American. So I... It didn't have many African-American friends uh, growing up, people that looked like me. So uh, I, I say that I'm, I'm a product of, of my environment in that uh, I, I never really, uh, I, I, I didn't actually have, a, felt comfortable in my skin until I got to the academy and I started to, to be on the track team, uh, become friends with other, other black girls um, and, and embrace my identity a little bit more. But growing up, that was my identity was always something that I struggled with, just knowing that my, my family's culture and, um, and the way that I look was so different than, than everyone else. And that was from the time I was in elementary school all the way till I graduated from high school. And from these and many other such beginnings, so many Black women have become Vanguard. Martha Jones, historian and author of Vanguard, a powerful look at the ways in which Black women have sought political power and in turn fought for the best of us all. So Vanguard can be defined as a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas, but it also implies a certain amount of accountability and responsibility for paving the way for others. Of Black women, you said they shouldered the responsibility for the collective through a view that was always intersectional. What do you think is the relationship between the responsibility that has been at times willingly and at times unwillingly assumed by Black women and the intersectional space that we occupy? There is so much in your question, so let me try. Um, my uh, colleague and friend, Dr. Brittany Cooper, once dubbed me a Harperian. Now, that might not ring a bell for everyone listening, so let me invoke um, the great poet, anti-slavery lecturer, and advocate for women's rights, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, born in Baltimore, Maryland, at the dawn of the 19th century. One of her most often invoked Lines And she was a poet, so there was a great deal from her that is quotable. But one of the most often invoked lines goes like this. We are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity. 
And this term, humanity, um, I confess, as I was in the initial stages of writing Vanguard, puzzled me. I wasn't sure what she meant. And then I heard the invocation of humanity again and again by Black women activists as they were organizing around their political rights, including access to the ballot box. And I began to understand that indeed Harper's view echoed by many women who came after her, was that when black women were lifted up in a country like the United States, when they were able to transcend both racism and sexism, indeed, everyone would be lifted up as a consequence. And so while Harper comes to politics and roots her analysis in black women's experiences, She is also using that position to then open up onto, I think, what today we would term human rights. Mm -hmm. What does she have in mind? Harper has in mind a critique of both racism and sexism that is born out of the, what would today refer to as her intersectional position in American politics. Um, but at the same time, she is really looking to a broad array of human concerns. Yes, political rights, but yes, in her time, anti-lynching educational mm-hmm. reform, access to health care, housing, and those fundamental rights that we associate with human rights are all her concerns. And it is why Black women's politics is never one-dimensional or single issue. And it distinguishes women like Harper from her peers who, in a sense, constrain their politics to the politics of voting rights. Harper stands in for generations of Black women who take that much more capacious human rights perspective. What can this intersectional view, the ways in which Black women have had to be responsible, a wild love of Rose for her daughter, offer us in this moment? We are setting ourselves up to experience even more division, we're already dealing with now and to be unable to work together to solve these tremendous problems that we are facing, which are, as you said earlier, global as well as national. So in this moment in the book, I was trying to think about what can Rose's actions offer us? And I was thinking about her as a model of someone who's able to turn the focus away from self and really consider the needs of another to consider how could she further and even perhaps ensure Ashley's survival in this moment when her own survival was also at risk. We all, I think, would benefit from trying to look past ourselves, to look toward the next person and the next person, and to think about their needs and how we can further those needs toward a greater good. But... You asked the question about what are the costs? And I think there are great costs to only putting Black women in this position Mm -hmm. of being the ones who have to say, it's not just about me. It's easy about everybody else. Because this is a position Black women have been in historically in this country and in many places around the world where Black enslavement was practiced. I mean, we face a contradiction in that 
we are the ones who can see because we can stand on the shoulders of our ancestors and we can interpret what's unfolding today through their experience. And yet we should not be the ones who have to carry this burden of selflessness alone or solely or centrally. Because if we were, we would actually be reproducing some of the crimes of the past. It's one thing for a person who loves another to freely choose to give of herself to care for that other person. It's another thing to be forced, to be corralled into the position of always having to give, 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 and never being cared for. And so Black women, I think, do sit right at that intersection, historically and today. We know what it is to benefit from the selfless care of other Black women, and we also know what it is to be taken for granted as the people who should be, as Zora Hurston said, the mules of the world. What does this space of responsibility feel like? How do we react when it is thrust upon us? Sydney Barber. When I first got the news that I was going to be the brigade commander of the Naval Academy, in that moment, my heart dropped, not in a good way. I was scared. I was so scared. Um, I had so much fear. I remember my eyes were welling up with tears. I didn't want to leave. I was in my friend's room at the time. I knew the announcement was coming, but I wanted to avoid all people. So I, I ran. I didn't go to my room because I knew that people would be coming to my room and knocking on my door, and I didn't want to be somewhere where people could find me. And there was something, I had this conscious um, voice from God that, that told me that I was going to get selected and said I needed to hide because everyone's going to be coming <laughs> coming for me, and I didn't I didn't want the attention, and so um, I had a lot of fear because I just knew with the weight of that responsibility, and it all became coming. It, I knew that in that moment it was gonna it was gonna be real that I had the ball that I it, this was not yes it's a it's a great celebration but it also means that it's time to work you know and there's a lot of people who are expecting you to be their voice, um, a voice that's maybe been silenced for so long. Um, and that's not not only the voice of all the alumni that have come before me who came to the Naval Academy, African-American midshipmen, black female midshipmen who really struggled through their experience and were, were maybe marginalized um, in different ways. Being their voice and carrying on their legacy but also representing the current midshipmen um, and all those who were maybe watching on TV. Because a lot, like you said, a lot of people didn't even know any Naval Academy probably was never something that they had ever heard of in their life until this story blew up about some girl named Sydney Barber, who was the first black female brigade commander. People don't even know anything about the military at all, but they knew that. So just, just representing uh, and, and being the inspiration that um, others expected me to be. It was, it was a heavy, heavy burden that it was, uh, in some ways, that at the beginning it was, it, was a, it was a burden that I really didn't, I didn't like. It was too much pressure for me. And so I kind of resented that responsibility in the first couple, I would say first month after the announcement. I, was, I really was reluctant to do interviews 
didn't really want to make very many public um, appearances. Like I said, I stayed in my room a lot. I wasn't wasn't very vocal on social media. There was a lot that was said about me on social media, and people would tell me about things that I said in certain interviews. I'm like, oh, I guess I did say that. I mean, I didn't watch the interview. Is because I just I just felt the burden of, of that responsibility um, weigh so heavily on me. So it, it took it took a lot uh, for me to to overcome that to embrace that. You know, we don't know the next time when there's going to be another person who looks like me in a role like this. So I have an, I have a responsibility to to keep moving forward, to be the the, the voice of all these people, and to really uh, you know, step into the role a little bit more. And if we do feel the quote unquote mules of the world. How do we lean into the wisdom of our foremothers, who, as Stacey Abrams said, quote, have each faced difficult, heart-wrenching challenges and an obligation to remain viable for the fight, unquote. So let me take you back to this question, because that's part of what brought me to that thought is protecting ourselves. Sometimes protecting ourselves is something as small or as large as being able to physically see what is in your surroundings, because we must always pay attention and be vigilant. So I will state again, what lessons can you offer us from these Vanguard women and how not only to create change and shoulder responsibility, but also to preserve and protect ourselves for the battles to come? The women in Vanguard are who they are, accomplish what they accomplish, in part because they work in community. And I think that is... Um, something that we can lose sight of, especially in these now years of pandemic where it is too easy to become isolated. Mm-hmm. So I think there is um, that imperative um, that when we set our goals, when we hone our vision, we're doing that in community because we sustain one another. Um, the women of Vanguard are very mindful of generations Mm. And as someone who is an educator, I can say for myself um, that that possibility, that ever-present possibility of passing on, of training, of encouraging, of seeing your ideas embodied in next generations is part of what clearly sustains the women in this book across time. We need big ideas, that the, the trenches are... Um, are grueling, dangerous, grueling, oftentimes filled with disappointment and worse. And we need to hold on to our big ideas, whether they come from our political philosophers, um, from our poets, uh, from our novelists, from our graphic artists. We must remember, right, the big ideas and the beauty Right, that is always there. For me, that comes by um, visiting the museum and immersing myself in the in in our um, our best artistic work as a way of rejuvenating myself. Now, my last point on this, I'm going to borrow from uh, scholar uh, Stephanie Evans, my colleague, who very recently published a book on Black women and yoga practice. Um, And the first time I heard Professor Evans talk about this, she shared an image of the great Rosa Parks, not that image that is 
the ubiquitous one, her seated um, on that bus mm-hmm. in Montgomery. But instead, Rosa Parks on the mat um, in the midst of her yoga practice. Mm. And Professor Evans is really drawing our attention to the inner lives of Black women, women who we associate with the frontline work of politics, who indeed adopt a whole range of practices, spiritual, physical, and more, as a way of sustaining themselves um, across um, many, many decades of activism. I'll never forget seeing Rosa Parks as a yoga practitioner and taking that as a cue for how we all need to attend to our well-being in our own ways, to find our own practice around you know, the sometimes too loosely um, invoked self-care. But nonetheless, I think the kind of self-care that that image always reminds me to attend to. Conceptualization of self. What does a vision for wholeness present us? What possibility do you think this wholeness of the self offers not just for our futures, for Black women's futures, but for an American future, particularly in a country where people fighting for simple things such as, well, which should be simple, health, voting rights, things that should be a given, are chastised and called ambitious as if that were a slur. What do you think this, this wholeness of self offers for an American future? For me, um, as you put it, Black women's wholeness of self, the bringing of the whole self to the project of American politics, I think is a beacon. That is to say, it is an invitation. It is a guide um, for many Americans who have been told that their whole selves are a deficit, right? That their whole selves are a barrier. And one of the things that the women of Vanguard um, taught me about themselves is that really what sustains them across generations and in the face of extraordinary opposition is that they are right. <laughs> you know, they are right about a fundamental <laughs> set of values. And I think that sureness right, about one's political vision, about one's political claims, comes out of bringing the whole self and then opens a space for many others, some of whom, you know, will overlap with Black women's interests and others of whom will bring their own perspectives. I think it is emboldening. I hope it is emboldening, um, not only for Black women in the 20th century, but for many Americans who have been told that they are somehow beyond, outside, ill-fitted for, you know, as uh, our um, wonderful colleague, uh, Tressie McMillan-Cottom would say, right? Thick, right? Too thick, <laughs> right? Um, and it turns out that um, our thickness is our strength, right? Mm. Our thickness is our power. Our thickness is our vision and our promise for this country rather than a deficit. And I think this is true for many Americans, not only for Black American women. Our responsibilities are our burdens, but they are also our promises. What we are willing to assume, what we can hold in our hands, 
for ourselves in honor of the work of our ancestors with hope for our children. The way we carry more is not by placing a greater weight into a black woman's arms, but by others taking it, because most of it never should have been ours to bear in the first place. A black woman's vision of responsibility has always been one of intersectionality, of community, and of an understanding in which we all should have the right to exist inside a wholeness of self. What we take on should be a choice, not an expectation, and authority should always accompany an obligation. Okay. So, thank you, Taya. Thank you in so very many ways. Oh my goodness gracious. Thank you. What are we going to do now? We have to now go into these days and find our different voices for (laughs) for, for what it is that we're going to be encountering and dealing with, huh? Yeah, we do. We do. It may require new voices, huh? And it may require old voices that we thought we wanted to put away. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I hope to be able to hug you real hard one day. (laughs) Likewise, we'll trade hugs. I'd like that. We'll speak again. (laughs) Take very good care. You too. All right. Being Seen is produced by Harley and Company and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare.